Hello, everybody. Welcome to Silverline Behind the Frame podcast, episode number 29. And on this episode, we get to hear from Kirsty Ennis. Now, Kirsty is one amazing person who is an above-the-knee amputee who went from being a door gunner in the Marines to then losing her leg and then becoming a professional snowboarder, mountaineer, and has recently started a nonprofit called the Kirsty Ennis Foundation. And she is one that has not let her injury hold her back at all, and she is constantly striving to help others and inspire people to live life to the fullest. She has been the recipient of service awards and has been impacting people through public speaking and also her foundation, which was created to give back and to pay it forward. So really excited to share this episode with you and hope you enjoy this inspiring talk. <laughs> We've been rolling for a couple of days now here in Colorado. So on this episode, we get to sit down with Kirsty Ennis and we are in your hometown, home place, home base right now. Yeah, Glenwood which is which is where? Yeah, we're in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Um, it's been permanent now for about two years. Um, I'm originally from Florida, but um, was introduced to the area after I got hurt in Afghanistan and decided that I was going to take up Paralympic snowboarding. <laughs> and then, so yeah, ended up loving it so much that I decided to make it home. Now, uh, I've I switched over from skiing to snowboarding when I was about 13 years old because the snowboarding was like all the coolest thing to do at that time, and kept doing it over the years, but doing with one leg now for those that don't know Kirsty is above the knee amputee which when you look at the track record and the things that you have been able to accomplish uh it seems like even more than most people do with normally two legs and snowboarding being one of them right i mean that's how does i mean what kind of leg do you use for that and how how do you how do you get down the mountain? <laughs> yeah, no. The, so the prosthetics world is, is pretty crazy right now. Um, but a lot of the, the tools that I use, if you will, um, for the extreme sports that I do, they're all custom. Um, mm -hmm. So whether it's me fabricating these crampon feet for mountaineering and ice climbing, or as you mentioned, the snowboarding, I mean, it has Fox hydraulics. Like we literally take mountain bike shocks <laughs> to be able to make a knee and to make an ankle nice. so that I can have articulation. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. And is that, are you goofy or regular? I'm regular. Okay, so that's uh, that's that's tough being the front uh, the front foot. Yeah, and that's actually it's actually pretty rare. But my like the method to the madness is, is like I don't want to be good at just riding a snowboard and going downhill fast. I want to mm -hmm. be able to ride powder, hit jumps, um, and be able to like land and maintain that control without hopefully hurting myself. Um, right. So yeah, so I just throw the front leg out, or excuse me, the amputated side out front. So. Well, I guess then it gives you a little extra. Um, absorption with the with the shocks and stuff then on the front <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah um but yeah i don't know i uh it's just the way that i was comfortable i tried to ride switch all the time and it just nope it's not it's where i'm happy <laughs> have you been able to transfer it to other board sports as well or mainly snowboarding you know i really haven't done anything else yet um i really i've been saying for my 29th birthday in, ja uh, in january that i want to go to costa rica and learn how to um to surf We'll mm -hmm. figure that out considering my legs stay on by suction. I'm not sure, too sure how well <laughs> it'll go over in the water. Um, right. But then outside of that, no, I haven't been bold enough to get on a skateboard. Still haven't tried, you know, wakeboarding my entire mm -hmm. life, but maybe one day. And were you snowboarding before your injury or was this a new thing you picked up after? No, it, it totally came up afterwards. Um, so, gosh, I was probably six, seven months in um, to my mm -hmm. hospi hospital stint. Uh, I was actually inpatient for a total of two years, um, but an organization called Disabled Sports USA came into my hospital room and was like, how do you feel about learning a winter sport? And at the time I was, I didn't give a damn about winter sports. <laughs> um, I just wanted to get <laughs> out of the hospital. Right. Um, and so I went to my doctors to see if I could get a medical clearance um, to, you know, to go with them. And all they would clear me to do was to sit ski because of my brain injury, the spinal mm -hmm. cord damage, and mm -hmm. then of course the damage to my leg. Um, but to my surprise, when I arrived in Breckenridge, Colorado, no one asked for a clearance. And so kind of like you mentioned, I yeah. decided that I wanted to do snowboarding because it looked the coolest. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Wow. Yeah, because I think the only other ones I've mainly seen for is, is the sit skiing if you're, you know, don't have use of either one or both legs. So. Yeah, I mean, you can do what we call, um, you know, single track, or you can use, like, outriggers and stuff, mm -hmm. but you, you just don't maintain that control, and then you lose your upper body and all of it. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, personal preference for sure, but I like, especially, I, I mean, 
obviously I go through my days with the title of handicap or disabled. And so I try to do the most throughout my day where I feel the le- the least disabled. Mm-hmm. Like if I can be upright, then I'm going to try my damnedest to be upright. And right. I'm like, I used to be, I guess. Yeah. And so going into when you had this, this injury happen, like before that and going into the military, um, was there things that you had even growing up? Um, and we talked about a little bit over this, the last couple of days of filming, but, um, that personality did that, uh, of just being able to take on these hard things and, you know, overcoming the challenges of having to live with, you know, without one of your legs, did, did some of that begin at an earlier age? Did you just have a really hard head from the beginning? <laughs> uh, that's a question for my mom, huh? But, um, no, I, I've always been very mischievous. I always like when someone told me something, you know, it was always why, you know, I wanted mm-hmm. to know how it worked or, you know, why it was done that way. Um, and I always just wanted to be challenged. Like nothing was ever really, you know, difficult enough. Um, so I've always just kind of sought things out. I mean, I joined the Marine Corps at 17 years old after doing two years of community college for crying out loud. So I've always <laughs> been, yeah. and you had to pull some, pull some strings to make that happen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Lied through my teeth to my dad to get him to sign. Obviously. I mean, didn't really have to twist my mom's arm too hard, but, but yeah, I had to, I had to work some magic to be able to, to leave home at, yeah, at the age of a child basically. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I've just always, I've always sought out to do a little bit more, but I will say getting hurt and having this new appreciation for life, it is, it's definitely amplified it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I've had the conversations with my doctors that since the brain injury, maybe I rewired a couple things that, you know, a different way because I've, you know, just worked so hard or I've had to try so hard at other things that now I've just have, I have a hunger uh, to always do more or, Mm -hmm. but on the flip side of that, like. You know, I, I just think that I have this mentality right now of just not settling. Like, I look at a lot of my friends and, and what they're doing with their lives, and not that anyone's right or wrong, but I just don't want to ever feel like I settled. I don't want to look back on life and be like, well, what if? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I mean, going into taking on a lot of new things, I mean, once, like I said, with some people, when they've when they've gone through a challenge, they might step back from things, but you just step forward I mean, head on into a lot of stuff, so... How did you, how did it go into the first thing? So after, after having to, um, cause, cause initially you didn't, um, I mean the, the amputation was kind of a progressive thing. So how did that kind of, uh, I guess you don't have to go into all of the full details of the, of the injury, but as much as you want to, to share on that kind of leading up into like, how did it kind of progressively grow after that? Yeah. Well, so my initial injury was in June, tw- uh, was on June 23rd, 2012, um, I was right outside of um, Ford Operating Base in Alzad in the southern Helmand province of Afghanistan uh, while serving as a helicopter door gunner, 50 caliber machine gunner, for those of you who don't know. Um, my helicopter went actually went down, and as a result of the crash, I sustained a number of injuries. Um, I lost my left leg above the knee, spinal cord damage, damage to my arms, my ears, my eyes, and um, then, of course, the traumatic brain injury. had a ton of facial reconstruction, lost my jaw. Um, and any form of recovery, you know, whether it's like, an ankle surgery or no matter what you're going through, like it's, it's difficult in a number of ways. Um, but for me, I lived two years inpatient at the hospital. I had 44 surgeries. Um, most of which were on my leg. Um, we would, we tried to save what we could of it for a very long time. Unfortunately, I went from a below the knee amputee to a through the knee amputee. I eventually went above the knee. And then again, I had to have another revision surgery, um, to really clean things up and make it so that, you know, I could live that independent active life still. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, people ask me all the time, you know, what was recovery like? And the reality of my world now is my recovery is not over. It never will be. Sure. Um, there's always going to be different things that come up. You know, we talked about, you know, the mountaineering and the snowboarding, but you know, I'm in this weird, I'm in between a rock and a hard place right now because I can live my life, you know, fairly restricted to preserve, you know, the rest of my body or, you know, what, you know, bit of my limb that I do have left, or I can go out and live the life that I want to live. Um, and in turn, you know, maybe that means in 20 years, I'm actually living my life in a wheelchair. But again, it kind of ties back to that not wanting to settle. You know, I didn't want, especially doctors and all people to put this limitation on who I was going to be or what I was going to be capable of. Um, and it really has been, it's been an uphill battle. But again, I can just look and say, you know what, I'm grateful for what I do have. As cheesy as it sounds, like there's always somebody that's worse off. At least I have a leg. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's huge. And I think, um, 
one thing that I didn't really realize before, um, you know, we were on the same uh, trip this year with the Ranger Motion Project, and uh, I worked with them last year climbing Cotopaxi uh, and working with amputees, and and I hadn't really been around that type of um, type of challenge for you know people directly, like actually seeing okay, you have to put on the different layers, and then having to use you know different types of knees or legs, depending on if it's uh, above the knee or below the knee and being able to hike, to walk, to do all these different things. I didn't realize there was so much that goes into even different styles of how they're, how the compression like connects to the leg and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, for those that don't uh, understand that it's, it's this daily thing I mean, you're having to, to monitor what it, what it does and how it's staying connected. And I mean, it's, so what, what is, in a typical, I mean, a typical day is probably not a typical day for you. Obviously that's a, that's not a, that's not a real question, but just for, for getting ready to, to even just go out. Like, I mean, you have different layers that you have to, to put on to in, in make the knee stay on or, or kind of walk us through what, even just the small things that people don't realize that how much goes into that. Well, I think there's first and foremost, I think there's this misconception about what this leg is. You know, a lot of the times, I mean, I don't know what people think. They look at me like I sleep with this thing on, that I shower with this thing on. But no, it <laughs> yeah. is very much so, a, you know, a piece of me. It's just an attachment that goes on. Yeah. And might I add, you know, sometimes it sucks. It's painful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, every morning I have to wake up and roll the silicone sleeve over my residual limb, which, you know, that's like feels like you're ripping skin off of my femur every time that you put it on. And wow. then not only that, but... Again, as an above-the-knee amputee, I don't have a weight-bearing bone. You know, for you, you have an ankle and you have this knee. For me, every part of my prosthetic has to go on, like, bear weight from my pelvis. Mm. I mean, it's hard to explain. But, I mean, literally, yeah. every every step I take, you know, this socket of mine digs into me, the part that actually allows for the mechanical prosthetic to be mm-hmm. a part of me. It's painful. It's terrible. Um and I, and I think that, you know, people think that I just put this one leg on and then I go about my day, but that's not the case. I can't run with this. I can't mm-hmm. just change my shoes. No problem. I'm constantly having to make adjustments for heel height to be able to articulate like the different terrain that I'm going to be on. God forbid I'm walking around outside right now on ice because I don't have that stability <laughs> that other people yeah, have. Right. Um, you know, so we, we mentioned my snowboarding leg, but I also have a running one. I have a rock climbing one. Um, ice climbing, mountaineering, I have a snowboarding one. I have, heck, I have one that is like indestructible so I can actually, you know, take it out and put it through the elements. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not easy. And I don't know. I think if that's one thing that I could educate people on really is, is um, not taking things for face value. Because, mm-hmm. you know, people see pictures of me all the time, like outside climbing and having a smile on my face. But it's not as easy as it sounds. I mean, every right. step of every day, I have to think about how I'm going to walk. You know, I walk with mm-hmm. my core now mm-hmm. instead of, you know, my feet and my knees and my legs. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know, like anybody that's out there listening, I definitely encourage you to, to, you know, to ask questions and pay attention to what's going on in the people's lives around you. Um, yeah. Cause it's really not as simple as, as it may seem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think seeing the, the different challenges that you are taking on, I'm just like, Oh, just climbing a big mountain. Like it must be, I mean, there's already a suffering aspect tied with these different sports. And then you add on a whole nother, aspect and for those that maybe haven't uh, uh seen or known like you were on everest like the the i mean there's obviously a lot of crazy mountains in the world but people will think of that as just like that is such a hard thing to even a- attempt or uh, think about going after and you did it with one leg i mean that's uh i mean first uh, why like what, what is what, what what got in into your head to to want to take on something like that well, it all, I mean, honestly, it all happened two years ago, two and a half years ago now. So I. That's not very long. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So my Jeez. last surgery to my amputated side was in November of 2016. Um, and that was a hard blow to me because I had been fighting so long in this recovery that I was, I was just ready to be done. Mm-hmm. I was ready to be off the medicine. I was ready to just be moving, moving forward with my life. Um, I was ready for the next steps. And when I found out I was having that surgery and that, and that I was going to lose the 2016-17 you know, snowboarding season, I kind of started grabbing at straws. Like, okay, what else can I do that's not necessarily high impact? Mm-hmm. Um, and a good friend of mine reached out to me and was like, hey, we're going to be climbing Kilimanjaro, the highest point in Africa, in March of 2017. And, I mean, I was just gravitated towards the idea because it was something active, something outside, and again, you know, just the mountains. 
And mm-hmm. when I got down there, I actually found out that I was stubborn enough to be pretty good at it, pretty quick. I could keep up with the bipeds, as I call them. That's awesome. But on the like the flip side of that, you know, we actually ended up raising one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for clean water for the East Tanzanians. Mm. So not only was mountaineering now feeling this, you know, athletic, you know, just um, you know, adrenaline void in my life, you mm-hmm. know, it was also still giving me that purpose of service that I was also missing from, you know, my medical retirement from re- medical retirement from the Marine Corps. Um, and I decided, you know what, there might be something to this. So then I decided that I was going to da- go down to Indonesia and do a mountain called Karstens, which is known to be the most technical and volatile mountain of the seven summits. So the highest peak on each of the seven continents. And I went down there and crushed. <laughs> like, I'm going to cheat my own wow. horn for a second. <laughs> And then by that point, you know, I was already two of the seven summits down. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we were still tethering, you know, different humanitarian efforts or philanthropic efforts behind each one of the climbs. And, yeah. you know, that's when I decided that I was going to commit to to the big mountains. And, mm-hmm. you know, Everest, of course, is a part of the seven summits. It's the highest point in Asia. But when I actually went out to Nepal for the first time in November of 2017, I went out there to decide if I was going to climb from the north or the south side. You know, what was going to be tangible and realistic on one leg. Mm -hmm. And then I fell in love with the people of Nepal. And then I fell in love with the Himalaya. And then it just all came together. And I laid eyes on Everest for the first time. And that's all I wanted. Mm. Quite frankly, I was like, to hell with the rest of the seven summits. Like, let's just do (laughs) Everest. Um, But it's just one of these mountains where, like, just the magnitude of it and the presence. Like, it makes you realize that you don't matter. And that mm-hmm. humbling sensation just made me want it more. Um, and I knew in that moment that I was going to suffer and it was going to suck and I was going to have to do things entirely differently than anybody else on that mountain. And it mm-hmm. made it that much more appealing. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, November 2017, I was like, that mountain's going to be mine. And, yeah, I just, I stuck to it. So. And that's, obviously, it's not a a, a small feat either. I mean, that's a, how much time did you have to commit to take that on? Gosh, well, um, so honestly, just the training alone, you know, I was very particular with how I, um, you know, ramped up my training. You know, I wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure that I was going to be able, you know, to really excel in that high of an altitude. And not only that, but I wanted to make sure my prosthetics could withstand all of the elements. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was very, very strict on my on my training. But leading up to it, actually getting to my um, my Everest attempt, I spent two months in Nepal climbing Everest. (laughs) Yeah. That is, I mean, it just, because it adds so many more elements, but that's not just because of your, with your prosthetic too. I mean, that's, is that pretty normal for, for those taking on the mountain? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, I don't want to be too offensive, but you know, you have the people that have the money to go out to Everest yeah. and that sure they're going to get drug up there on a, you know, on a dog leash and it's, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to get to see the top of the world. But then there are people who really respect the sport and the lifestyle of mountaineering. Right. And those people are the ones that, you know, their heart's in the right place and they want to be successful for the right reasons. So for me, um, I ended up doing, uh, climbing Mount Everest. or actually, excuse me, I attempted Denali, the highest point in North America. And then I attempted or summited the highest point in Europe, Elbrus. And then in the beginning of 2019, I went down to Aconcagua, the highest point in South America, down in Argentina. And when I ran up that mountain, you know, just shy of 23,000 feet, that was like my check in the box of being like, you know what? You can play at high altitude with the big boys. So Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. is your season. Um, But like I knew deep down if I didn't summit Aconcagua, then I wasn't going to go to Everest that season. I was going to wait another one until I could really dial in my systems and make sure that I was ready. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I have, I do have some form of a fear of getting hurt out there. Or, you know, obviously, you know, it's a deadly sport, but my biggest fear is that the people climbing with me, you know, mm-hmm. jeopardizing yeah. them. Um, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if something happened to them because of me not being prepared. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I try to make sure I, everything in my power that I have it dialed and, and buttoned up. And, when you're spending that much time, um, how much of that is actual physical? I mean, everything just surviving at that elevation, I'm sure is, is a physical, uh, challenge as well, but what, how, how much of that time are you then hiking? I mean, you're spending a certain amount of time at different locations or different, uh, elevations. Yeah. So, um, the trek in from, so you take a flight from Kathmandu to Lukla and then you have like 10 to 14 days of a base camp trek in. And then once you're at base camp, you're kind of hanging out for realistically probably about a week. And then you do basically the technique of climbing high and sleeping low. So you'll climb up to camp one, 
you know, stay up there for a night and then come all the way back down to base camp. And then you'll do that, you know, a couple of times over, you know, go up to camp two, stay for a couple of nights and come back down just so that your body can really deplete itself and you can regenerate those red blood cells. Um, mm-hmm. So realistically, I mean, in my opinion, the average person, you know, two legs, they're going to climb that mountain twice by the time you go up and wow. down that many times. Yeah. And then there's someone like me who's missing a limb and the amount of energy that we put into it and just how much we burn and the effort that we make. I mean, we, we damn near climb it three times. That's pretty crazy. Um, wow. <laughs> so like, I mean, so anybody out there that's yeah. ever even attempted Everest and Hey, maybe you didn't summit, but you made it to camp four or somewhere like that. Like kudos to you. Cause it's, it really is. It's a maximum effort and not mm-hmm. only physically, but mentally, you know, people take for granted what altitude does and, uh, Man, like it is a huge mind game. Like you have to trick yourself into taking even mm-hmm. like six inches of a step. Right, it's crazy. Right. You're, because you and then with you having to take on that extra physical aspect too. Um, I mean, could you? Was there like what were some of the extra things that you had to do on the mountain to 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 take it on? Yeah. Well, so I man, this is wild. But so typically, um. People would climb up to camp one, and then we'd go back down to base camp. No one would ever stay above the Kumbu Ice Fall. Mm. I, on the other hand, stayed above the Kumbu Ice Fall. So there were times during my Everest expedition where I was the only one at 20,000 feet. No one else around whatsoever. Wow. Um, yeah. And that's just a wild sensation, period. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, you know, you don't... You a know, little like, eerie. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, and then, like, some of the biggest things, again, I'm never, I don't, I don't ever get afraid of you know, death or dying on a mountain. But my biggest fear is frostbite on my residual limb. Um, mm, right. Frostbite for anybody is terrible, but realistically, I don't have a lot of leg to play with anymore. Yeah. Um, and with my prosthetic leg, um, the components, especially obviously the steel ones and the carbon fiber, because as uh, has no R value, mm-hmm. everything gets very, very cold very quickly. Yeah. And of course, with poor circulation and everything else on that side, like you're not warming it back up. So, I mean, there were times on Everest where you're just ripping the leg off, putting hot water bottles on it, trying to thaw things out. Um, and then another one that a lot of people <laughs> honestly don't realize is you'll see pictures of me on Everest up high. We're talking 28, 29,000 feet. And I'm in a tank top because I run so <laughs> hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, really? Yeah. And so because my brain still thinks my leg's there. So I have an excessive blood volume, which mm. also can be an sure. explanation for why I don't have altitude sickness right. and don't have headaches and all of that. Yeah. Which is huge. And yes. That <laughs> yeah. amplifies everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but so I have an elevated heart rate and I just run hot, you know, I have less surp- surface area to dissipate that heat. Should mm-hmm. I be too warm? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a gamble. Like we were at the South summit, the Hillary step on step on Everest and my leg is sweating off. Wow. So you're just trying to keep it Mm -hmm. from coming off? Yeah. So instead of like the average, or not the average, but the typical amputee, they would be running a risk of like swelling or shrinking up at that altitude. Mm -hmm. And then there's me sweating everything off. Um, It was pretty, it was pretty wild. Wow. Wow. And then, so what, how far did you end up making it then? So we made it to the South Summit, which is 200 meters from the proper like top of the world Hollywood Summit. So pretty much could have thrown a rock at it, but um you know, one of the things that we've talked about for the last couple of days has really been, you know, you know, having the courage to, to turn around, you know, having the mm-hmm. courage to say, you know what, I'm going to, this one's going to go down and go down on the books and I'll come back for it. You know, I'll chalk it up as a failure and, you know, take my lessons learned and I'll come back later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Cause there's so much more that can, can come from that. I mean, you can't keep yourself from do, trying something because you may not accomplish that. I mean, it's, people say it a lot, you know, it's, it's not just the accomplishment of this, it's that journey along the way, but as you're getting to something that is so caught up into have to get to that top, you know, just, and, and it causes people to have some bad results, right? Yeah. I mean, you get blinders on, you know, we call it summit fever. And I mean, don't get me wrong. If you would have looked at my Denali um, attempt in June of 2018, <clears throat> I was angry when we had to turn around, you know, I had worked so hard to get up to the Autobahn and we turned around at about 18,500 feet. I was pissed. You know, I shoved the camera back at my camera guy. Sorry, Rob. God love you. <laughs> but when <laughs> yeah. it came time to turn around on Everest, I was at total peace with it, you know, because really? I've, yeah. I've learned to tell myself, you know what, this mountain's not going anywhere and I can go back for it. And guess what? If Everest does go somewhere, there's going to be another tallest mountain in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it really <laughs> That's is. That's one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it really is. It's about perspective um, and, you know, being able to put that, that value on 
mm-hmm. the things that mean something to you. And you know what? My friends and my climbing partners mean more to me than any summit in the world. So Yeah. Yeah. And there's, cause that's, um, you had mentioned too, that it's, uh, you have some other challenges that you're looking to take on, not just the seven summits, but also running marathons in yeah. every, what, what's, <laughs> yeah. what's the deal with that? I mean, how, how much, how much do you run right now? I run not as much as I should uh, to be <laughs> wanting to do marathons. Um, no, so the, the you know mountaineering is always going to be a huge part of my life, but I really did. I put a timeline on the seven summits because I didn't want it to obviously to lose traction. I'm doing mm-hmm. these things to fundraise and raise awareness for things that I'm passionate about. Um, and you know, the seven summits is this you know huge sexy thing, but if you don't do it accordingly, you know, if you break yeah. it up over twelve years, then sure. who really cares? No offense to anyone. <laughs> um, but with that said, you know, I do mountaineering um selfishly to be able to say like to test myself and to show myself what I'm capable of mm-hmm. um and on the flip side of that to show the people what they could be capable of if they're willing to try and and make that effort mm-hmm. um and not that I'm bored with mountaineering I would do it always it is you know my first love now at this point in my life but I do want to aspire to do other things, you mm-hmm. know, you know, I, I'm like being, I'm like a toddler all over again. You know, this is new for me. So learning how to run, that's freaking yeah. exciting now. You know, it's yeah. like things that we take for granted. Um, so yeah, I aspire to do seven marathons, seven continents, seven days, uh, which is the, called the world marathon challenge. And it's, wow. uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just to be able to go and show these people, like no matter where you are, no, where, no matter where you come from, no matter what your physical or, you know, in some cases, mental limitation, like, if it's there and you have the opportunity in front of you and that's mm-hmm. something that you aspire to do, then get after it, go mm-hmm. for it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm probably, you know, ask me afterwards how I feel. <laughs> I might not have this inspiring answer for you, but yeah. for now, like, you know, it's, it'd be pretty cool to see, you know, an above the knee amputee mm-hmm. out there doing that. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, uh, are you kind of, so those are kind of things you're wanting to try to keep, you know, if you accomplish that, then you got to have, keep having some bigger goals and stuff to keep going after, right? Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, I also have a couple other things. I want to swim the English channel and then I also want to bike the great divide ride. But if you look at these sports that I'm rattling off, uh, the common denominator is there's, there's not a disabled, if you will, or adaptive presence at mm-hmm. all. Um, and I don't mind doing things the hard way. I don't mind struggling through them and having to grit my teeth. Um, uh, if that means I'm going to make it better for somebody else, you know, mm-hmm. I don't mind, you know, sitting in a shed and, you know, welding my own prosthetics if that means later on down the road that we can mass produce these things and this can be readily available and accessible to anyone. Um, right. So right. it's, it's again, you know, I didn't have a role model in the hospital, you know, and, and not saying that I'm everyone's, you know, cup of tea. Um, but I do think that, you know, by putting this out there and showing that, hey, you don't have to let somebody else write your definition, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you make that decision. Um I like to think that that would speak volumes for, for people all over the place. So, mm-hmm. And so, again, part of the way that you've been able to, to do that is now through the foundation, which um, is going on over two years or just right about two years. Yeah, right? just about two years. And and how did that kind of, I mean, it seemed like there was a few different people that kind of helped to, to push you towards that, but it, it seems like it might be kind of on the on the radar, at least even beforehand, or how did that kind of come about? Yeah, well, so I was doing these climbs, and I was really just using platforms like CrowdRise or, you know, GoFundMe or Mm -hmm. whatever, Um, and I was getting a lot of attention for wanting to do these mountains and doing these mountains, but a lot of people were coming to me and saying, you know, you need to really legitimize what you were doing. Uh, You need to put, you need to make an organization, you need to incorporate yourself, you need to get a 501c3, Um, and then that way you can raise more money and you can help more people. And mm-hmm. when it was put that way, that's when I, that's when I was like, you know what, let's just, let's go for it. You know, let's pull the trigger on it. Um, it was something that I was really dragging my feet on for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Because quite frankly, if you just support an organization that already exists, it's pretty easy. You know, your responsibilities may not be there. Yeah. Now that I'm founder and president of, you know, the Christianist Foundation, it's a, uh, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure out there and there's mm-hmm. a lot of behind the scenes work that people um, may take for granted or right. may not even you know, <laughs> realize goes on. Um, yeah. But now that I'm here and now that I'm doing it, um, you know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the people that pushed me to do it and who have supported me along the way. Um, it really has been a tremendous platform for me to be able to pay it forward. Mm-hmm. And is that is that something that you're kind of spreading out to? Uh, I mean, the main focus is inside of the kind of adaptive uh, community and amputees, or is it does it have a larger kind of like where does that vision look like to you? No, and then, well, that was one of the things, too, with 
me supporting these specific organizations, my whole thing is I just love people. I want to help everyone, mm-hmm. all walks of life. Um, and so right now, I mean, literally two bylaws. <laughs> we have to financially support deserving nonprofits um, mm-hmm. that are dedicated to improving the quality of life of others. And then we provide education, opportunity, and healing in the outdoors. We don't care if you're a civilian or if you're a veteran, if you're in a wheelchair, if you have no legs, if you have all, all your limbs, you know, if you have a mental or emotional situation, like, mm-hmm. you know, our doors are open to you. You know, we want to see you be successful. We want to see you reach your goals specifically in the outdoors. Um, but outside of that, like, nope. You know, we just want to introduce people to these new and if alternative, if you will, recreational therapies. You mm-hmm. know, let's get out. Let's get away from the hospitals and get away from the pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Because there's, I mean, there's so much that can be gained through that. And obviously, have you seen in your in your life as well coming through, I mean, with, with the physical injuries, but you also had to work through the brain injury. I mean, how, I guess, how severe was that at that time? And, and what is that? kind of mental process been like for you over the last few years taking on so many things that require even for the non-injured person having to you know add that brain capacity and you know businesses and stuff like how how has that process been for you it's been challenging um so when the helicopter went down um i had full thickness facial trauma so blunt force trauma had a hole blown through my face um my jaw shattered orbital socket um, and of course, when you have that kind of, um, an impact, uh, my right frontal lobe was, was pretty damaged and I had a hard time, you know, everything, you know, recognizing family in the hospital, being able to communicate and articulate what I was feeling or thinking, word recognition, word retrieval, specifically my memory. Um, and then of course, just, I don't want to say just judgment, but you know, mood stabilization was, was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously over time physically, you know, the brain will repair itself, you know, swelling mm-hmm. and shrinking, shrinking will go down. Um, but it was, it's something that's a constant effort and I urge anybody dealing with a traumatic brain injury to work for it. Um, you know, I had people laugh at me in the hospital saying that like I couldn't finish my first master's degree and, um, you know, I went to my speech therapist, um, honestly to this day, I still go to speech therapy, but I I went to my speech therapist and asked for them to download a program onto my computer. So that way I could comprehend and form sentences so that I could make my way through this first master's degree in psychology. Um, and then from that moment on, like that just reassured me that again, that if I was willing to work for it, if I was willing to struggle through it, mm-hmm. that I could learn it, that I could do it. Um, and so, I mean, again, yeah, I still have my issues, you know, I have a hard time and I mean, little things like people would never guess, but I don't like to say my R's are masses, um, cause it's hard <laughs> for me to get out. Uh, my memory is God awful. There's lists all over my house. Um, and then, you know, there's every single day, like make the effort. I have to make the effort. And if I don't, like people told me all the time, like if you, if you don't, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, every day you find a routine and you find what works for you and the techniques that are going to make you stronger, you know, whether that's physically or mentally. Yeah. And that, that really does help throughout all walks of life as well. I mean, with, with things that you've been taking on, you know, there seems to be a lot of different areas as well. Like how have you been able to I guess, kind of keep building on various different fronts. I mean, you end up traveling to a lot of different places now having speaking engagements and doing that kind of stuff. And then, but then still having a a business and running, you know, multiple businesses. I mean, one of the things that we like to talk about um, on the podcast is from, from my brother and I's background coming from, you know, growing up in a, in a, a business where my dad had his own business and learning that along the way. And then actually starting our own business too. And, and really interested to see, even on that side of things, like it's, you know, doing, doing good in, in the world and, and having a foundation, doing that kind of stuff as well, but then still making it work, you know, financially and still making a business run on top of everything else and the, the outdoor activities and all that kind of stuff. Like how, how have you been able to kind of compartmentalize, or maybe you don't, or maybe just keeping a lot of these different things going at the same time or. Yeah, no, I mean, <coughs> I do. I, I, it's constant, you know, and if you, if, if you ask my family, like why I do what I do right now is because I'm, you know, in 10 years, I don't want to be doing this. You know, I, yeah. I want to be sitting on a beach, hopefully with a family and hanging out, you know? Yeah. Um, but again, like right now I want to put in that work, you mm-hmm. know, right now I'm capable of putting in the work. So why not? Um, mm-hmm. and not only that, but again, like I've had so many amazing people come out of the woodworks to get me back to being who Kirsty really is. So like a lot of these businesses, um, that I'm invested in or I'm the COO or the CFO, 
I mean, those are my friends. So mm-hmm. I invested in their dreams. You know, they gave me their energy while I was in the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, on December 23rd, 2015, I woke up in the hospital. Or excuse me, December 23rd, 2015, they told me I wouldn't be awake on Christmas Day. So when I woke up on December 25th, 2015, I looked around the room and said, anybody that's sitting in this room will never work for anybody else ever again. You know, I'm alive. I'm here another day to live my dreams. They're going to live their dreams. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I mean, again, and I've, I've preached it to everybody, you know, whether it's somebody that's working for you in service or that's taking care of you or doing favors, like you, they go on that pedestal. You put them first. You treat them um, yeah. like gold. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I've just decided to do, like to make sure that my friends and my family are taken care of. And I'm going to continue building this team around me of people that, you know, in 10 years, they're going to be doing nothing. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I also enjoy it. Like if I wasn't doing all the things that I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. you better believe I'd you know pick up something else. You know, my favorite thing is underwater basket weaving, basket weaving. So like something else would be there if it, <laughs> if it wasn't real estate or CrossFit <laughs> gyms or hair salons. Right. Or, right. So. Yeah. And that's, is, so by doing the different things, is that, um, more of just a, I guess a smart move to have different things going on or do you enjoy just having the variety of, of kind of influences and people that you get to, to work with around? Yeah. Well, I, so I'm definitely the person that has like a backup plan to a backup plan to a backup plan, <laughs> but no, honestly, it's just because it's fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I've never been the person that loves monotony. You know, I do not mm-hmm. like the same routine day in and day out. I'll never be the person that can sit behind a desk doing a nine to five. That's just not me. That's not my personality. That's not what I find joy in at all. Um, So I do. I mean, I, you know, I'm constantly juggling something. I like having that many balls in the air. I like being Mm -hmm. able to say I'm a, I'm a problem solver. I mean, I simply put like, I like when there's something going on. I like when there's commotion or chaos in front of me. Maybe that's why mountaineering is a thing. I don't (laughs) know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you kind of have to enjoy a, a variety of experiences in that side of things, but then you come back and have to jump right into the work mode or, or, or baking cupcakes for a party. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's still being able to keep up with a lot of different things. I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, and the, there seems to be just a lot of different, um, I mean, some of the areas that we've seen you in the past as well at these different events of, uh, um, hunting and conservation and that kind of things. And that seems to be, I mean, even based on the, the artwork here <laughs> in, the, in the house of various, uh, uh, animals and, and, and even this piece here, um, for those that can't see or just listen to audio, this is a, a Buffalo skull, correct? Yep. Yep. And what, I mean, there seems to be a lot of stuff tied in with the, the artwork and stuff on this. Like what, what, what all went into that, uh, yeah, so that's my, that was actually my first hunt after I got out of the hospital from being very, very, very sick um, after one of my revision surgeries to my amputated side. Um, so it was my first harvest um, as, as an above the knee amputee. Um, and so there's a lot going on carving-wise. Um, there's uh, there's a doll sheep carved into the nose of it, and that's because I was slated for an Alaska doll sheep. There's the American flag, Iwo Jima, carved into it. There's American eagle uh, our bald eagle, uh, there's a buffalo carved on the other side of it. I mean, there's a ton going on, mm-hmm. but even the base of it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, it has a flag that's flown over Normandy, has the Ten Commandments, Bill of Rights, Servicemen's Creed, and then again, Iwo Jima, because the Marine Corps um, and the presence that it has in my life. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, the outdoors is just one of those things. And again, the outdoors just, to me, it's just this whole ev- evolution of life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it really has, it's given me my life back and with hunting and conservation, there's this huge misconception about what it is. Um, and actually it's a very precious thing. It's a very precious way of life, um, and art form, honestly. So that's why there's animals all over the place around my house. I'm probably the biggest animal lover, lover out there, even though I eat them. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, the outdoors is, you know, yeah, it gave me my life back. It's done a ton for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and being able to to keep going in, in all those different aspects, um, do you see that as, um, I guess, you know, all the different the goals and stuff that you're wanting to accomplish in the kind of the physical challenge realm, um, is that kind of always going to stay as a, as a focus of keeping the outdoor things related to that and when you kind of keep moving forward? Yeah. Well, I mean, 
obviously we all have to evolve and grow into, you know, day-to-day life and everyday society. But for me, I mean, I look at all of us and we're all so wrapped up in our TVs or our screens or our phones or our computers. And it's like we're neglecting our families and the, the interpersonal communication and the relationships that we should be, you know, fostering and nurturing. And I really think that the outdoors can provide, you know, a platform for all of that, you know, whether it's just for making sure we stay sane or keeping, you know, our hearts healthy and happy or, again, just, you know, being outside and spending time with with those we love. Um, I mean, it's there's a reason that doctors tell us to get outside and do a little bit more. Uh, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a walking, you know, testimonial to that. Um, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that we should all aspire just to do a little bit more, to learn a little bit more outside. Yeah. And so. You've obviously been to a lot of different places, getting to travel around a lot, and the uh, I I feel like my schedule gets crazy traveling different places, but it's nothing compared to what you end up doing, <laughs> um, bouncing all over the place. So, uh, do you um, do you have any type of routine or anything that kind of keeps you grounded or or on track or sane throughout all the the craziness, or do you just kind of thrive on the the unknown that's that's coming at you <laughs> um well I, I mean i do thrive on the unknown but again it's just because i, I like it i'm just like all right if if, <coughs> if everything's going according to plan like that's when i'm waiting for things to it's implode like, what's, what's <laughs> <best>? <laughs> yeah. something's waiting to happen i'd rather like little things go wrong than something huge so yeah, yeah. um but no i mean every morning i try to make it a point to um Kind of sounds silly coming out of my mouth, but I try to make it a point to meditate, take that time out for myself, you know, mm-hmm. as, as small as it sounds, you know, drink my big glass of water, stretch, roll out, tell me, you know, tell myself, what am I grateful for? Um, mm-hmm. And, and I try to like keep a certain chunk of the morning to myself because I give, which so starts very early too. Yes. I wake up every morning <laughs> at 4am, but I like, I like to carve out that time for me because mm-hmm. I give so much of myself and so much of my life to other people that if I don't take care of me and mm-hmm. like and remind myself of all of the opportunities and the things that I have in my life that are good, um, it would be really easy to lose that. Um, and and mm-hmm. you know if I don't if I don't take care of myself, then I'm not giving people you know the best version of Kirsty. Um, and you know the reason that I do what I do is because I want to impact other people's lives in a positive way. So mm-hmm. try to stay on my A game <laughs> as much as possible when I can, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I mean, outside of that, I just try to be active. You know, mm-hmm. I I will never ever take for granted um, being able to move ever again in my life. Mm-hmm. It's a scary feeling sitting in a wheelchair. It's a scary feeling not knowing if you're going to make it to see another day. So. Yeah. I wake up and I just I set the in, the intention of you know of living a, a full life, living a full day. Yeah. And uh and when you're um going into I mean you're you're having to overcome lots of different things even just like you said to to live every day. I mean you're having to put the leg on and and going through that stuff. You had mentioned something uh in one of our other interviews about uh even the perspective on having this injury and where you may have been had you not I mean it, it to know because someone might look at just oh there's these bad things that are happening and I can't believe this happened but they don't understand the whole picture that could be coming from that and what was there was something you had mentioned about that perspective on your injury well I mean I think one of the biggest blessings that I have from getting hurt which is a weird way to look at any of it um, is my ability now to look a few steps ahead because I could be mad that it hurts to put my leg on, but I could also be grateful that because I can put my leg on, you know, I can go forth and do these things. I don't have to do anything anymore. I get to do them. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell myself that every single day. Um, you know, I could look at my life and I could be I could be angry, flat out angry. You know, I could sit here and I could whine and whinge to you about losing my career, losing years of my life to the hospital, us- losing my memory, my brotherhood. Oh, my gosh. losing. I've lost a ton at a very young age. Or I can look at it and say, okay, well, what have I gained because mm-hmm. of it? Mm-hmm. You know, like, quite frankly, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, a curse that I definitely wouldn't wish on my own worst enemy, but it's been a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's just that perspective on life. It's a choice how you're going to mm-hmm. live your life. Yeah. And because uh, that, it seems like you've been through a lot of these different stages throughout that process i mean going from having to constantly have surgeries and those different things now and then getting to a a place i mean 
are you able to continue to, um, I'm going to are you having to stay up to speed on, on just like more things to come down the pike basically, or to, to stay, I guess, to stay interested in what's happening. I mean, there's so many things that have happened. So to be able to, I guess, to stay, to stay motivated on ongoing, like every single day, do you kind of have to have, keep bringing up some more either challenges to take on or just to, um, I guess to stay fresh. So it doesn't, you know, think cause like, okay, I've accomplished this part. I've accomplished to, you know, kind of these next big things, but do you have to kind of keep having more things to come down your way to, to stay growing, I guess, in that seeing so much that you've, I guess, overcome. So to continue to grow. No, I mean, I think we can find things every day to grow from. I mean, little things. I, I was actually just talking to my mom about it. You know, I, I've been frustrated with myself as of late because there are times where I'm like, oh my God, I am spread so thin and I have no time. I'm freaking <coughs> exhausted. And then I stop and I'm like, well, Kirsty, you did that to yourself. You know, you're the, you're <laughs> in charge of your schedule. Like those right. opportunities, you worked for them and you put them there. Mm-hmm. So instead of like being frustrated and thinking like that, like, I, you know, again, I remind myself to be grateful that, that I have that problem because there are yeah. people out there that, that may not understand how to work for those opportunities. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, like I also have to remind myself, you know, there are days where it's easy for me to have a sharp tongue. You know, it's easy for me to have like a self, self-righteous, this, you know, attitude. Um, so I think like there are times every single moment of our day or every single moment of our day that we can actually like check ourselves and say, you know what, I'm not doing this right. This is where I can be a little bit better or just little things. Um, you know, of course, like there are always going to be mountains out there. There's always going to be, you know, you know, marathons or whatever you want to do, but you can also really take the time to reflect on yourself and who you are and where you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm forever going to move forward and, and do ridiculous things with career moves or with education. But, you know, I, I really do. I try to make, make time to work on myself. You know, I, I want to mm-hmm. wake up every morning and be proud of the person that I've built. Um, yeah. I hope that kind of made sense. It was really kind of a roundabout way of answering that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And, and one of the things I was just um, thinking about too is, is when you're, um, have had or just recently receiving the, the Pat Tillman award and, and these different recognitions and, you know, speaking in front of groups and, and how does one keep the right perspective when, when you kind of start to become known a little bit, I mean, people kind of have, have heard the story or, or kind of become, you know, enamored with the things that you're able to do, but even from your perspective on, okay, there's, there's people that want to honor you and, and that's, that's amazing. But then, you know, some people may put that onto a wrong pedestal or might think, you know, more of themselves or something like that. Or how do you keep the right perspective when, you know, those good things are, are happening? Well, I mean, it's bizarre to be celebrated for doing something that I love. You know, it's, I've never done any of this for an award or a pat on the back. Right. Don't get me wrong. I have certainly done it for a smile. If I can make somebody mm-hmm. smile throughout my day, then I'm doing all right. Yeah, um, yeah. But to be celebrated because I want to help people is, is something that I've really had to work at wrapping, wrapping my mm-hmm. head around. Um, and, but you know, I, I tell myself all the time, granted I might put my pants on a little bit differently than you, but you know, we all put our pants on the same way. You know, mm-hmm. I tell myself that all the time. You're no better than I am and I'm no better than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we're doing things a little bit differently, it doesn't make either one of us right or wrong as long as we're not hurting anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but again, like I think that's also, why I do these mountains. It humbles you. It checks you. You don't matter. You know, people could give me every award in the world and I still don't matter in the grand scheme, you know? Mm. So you make your problems, you know, you make, how do I want to say that? Um, I mean, I don't know. You, you make your problems as, as big or as small as you want to. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's, uh, those that can get distracted on, on, you know, people getting certain recognition and stuff, but to realize, like you said, the, the true heart behind that of, of you're getting to do what you love to do and it, you get recognized for that, but it also can allow for more opportunities to impact more people too. Cause because people do know what you're about, what you're trying to do and actually can be involved in that too. Yeah. Well, and that's, but I, I told everybody, you know, the family and friends that started out from the, from the very beginning with me, I don't ever want to lose myself. And the moment that I feel like I'm losing myself, it's going to be time to wind my neck in and take a few steps back. 
I want to stay humble. Mm -hmm. I want to stay genuine. I want to stay authentic with my mission. And, you know, you know, I believe in like where you came from. I believe in those roots. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the moment anything threatens those values, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, for people that might be listening or thinking, how can they apply some of the things, you know, it's, a different scale. They may not take on literal mountains or, or, you know, doing some of those same things that you're doing, but being able to take the same concepts, like what would you say to those that maybe are, you know, wanting to step out either to start that business or to take on that next challenge or just to set some new, you know, some some new goals for them. Like what would be kind of a, something you want to leave with people there? So my mantra and the thing that I have told myself since I got hurt, well, it's the six inches between your ears and what's behind your rib cage. That's what dictates what you're capable of. So keep your head and your heart in the right place. You know, let that passion burn within you and, and just get after your goals. Yeah. That's doable. <laughs> That's <laughs> doable. doable for anybody, for <laughs> sure. Um, and so some of the different areas that people can um, even follow along on the, the journey of, of taking on the summits or even just the other things that you're involved with and doing, um, where do you want to send people yeah um if people are interested in what we're doing with the foundation or even just reading my blogs on all of the mountains and uh, the different endurance events that i'm getting involved in feel free to check out uh, kirstianusfoundation.com you can find us on social media um, facebook and instagram the kirstianus foundation or feel free to follow along um, on all of my personal sites just kirstianus nice because you do a lot of writing i mean I, I i noticed that even just from the trip and down in ecuador that I would just wrote it a couple more, more pages. <laughs> I mean, is that, is that part of your, um, release or something you were mentioning about just helping to remember the, yeah, I am. Um, I enjoy writing. Um, first and foremost, I enjoy being able to share these experiences that others may not ever have. Um, but then even for me, like, because I do so much and then also because of the brain injury, you know, you could ask me in a week, like what our trip or what our talk was like, and it's going to be hard for me to remember, you know, mm. what I said, how I felt. So me being able to like write these things down and express to myself, you know, colorfully mm-hmm. and then go back, you know, a year down the road and say, holy crap, you know, that's what I experienced on Everest. Mm-hmm. It's really, really cool to be able to relive, relive those memories. And again, mm-hmm. that's just taking the time and being patient with myself to figure out what te- techniques are going to work for me. Yeah, I know I have a crap memory. So what am I going to do mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to remember things? There you go. And yeah. that's that's some of the content that people can follow along on the blog, correct? Is yep. some of the stories and stuff too. Yeah, all of the stories from the mountaineering, all of the stories from just travels. Uh, yeah, it's all up there on the Kirstianus Foundation's website. And and they also from the um, the climb in Everest. There's some potential going to be seeing some stuff from that hopefully hopefully soon yeah i'm super excited um so we actually documented all of my everest expedition everything from you know the very beginning steps of prosthetics to what we were doing out there um, with the humanitarian efforts to the climb itself um so definitely stay tuned for a little everest mini doc and some and hopefully a little bit bigger of a project too cool well yeah. that's awesome we're excited to to see the adventures coming along the way and and know that's You've done a, done a bunch of crazy stuff, but there's still more to come. So <laughs> it's exciting. Well, and thanks for taking some of the time to, to be on the podcast, too, and definitely appreciate it. Absolutely. So. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll be seeing you soon. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you're able to glean some valuable insights from this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and let us know what you thought and your feedback. We would love to hear from you. If you want to find out more, visit silverlinefilm.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook under Silverline Films. And we look forward to seeing you next week on Silverline Behind the Frame.